When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the side of, you know, what was the life really like? Out, out, like out, a documentary about outside, her? Or, out, okay. Outside of the Hollywood image. Okay. Right, right. Yes. But you're talking about like seeing some documentary about her or something? Seeing documents. Okay. And uh, getting information. There's information that uh, I don't think uh, your, your general audience TV networks would allow you to uh, see. Then there's good geographic, National Geographic. It's uh, David Attenborough. There's amazing yes. nature documentaries out there now, including an amazing climate change one that you guys should watch. Yeah. It just came out. But I said a fantastic one was the Underground Railroad that's going on now in Prime. It, uh, it, it may help me to connect with so much. It's a very personal for, thing. Very personal thing. Yeah. Because I lived in the South for a little while. And were, you bo- were you born in, in the South? Oh, you weren't born in this place. <laughs> <laughs> you, you caught it. You caught yourself. <laughs> Was this the body, body in the, the body? The body's birth certificate <laughs> <laughs> was initiated in uh, Philadelphia. Oh, in Philadelphia. In so actually, that's kind of the, that's the north. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but after the fire, and how old were you? Virginia. Seven? Yeah, that's a very... At the age of seven. That had that, a big imprint. Yeah, lived with my grandfolks in the southern rural backwards of Virginia. Sharecropper. Because you wrote a song about Virginia. That's where I yeah. knew about it on the... On Vision Songs. Um, okay, on, on Vision Songs. On Vision Songs. Celestial Bring forth... Oh, bring forth... Bring on the sun. Yeah, bring on the sun. Okay. Gee. Yeah, that's right. Not Vision Songs. Yeah, it's... I can only, yeah. I'm again. My first music teacher. He was an African American man that lived his whole life in Columbia, South Carolina. Born and died, um, uh, and I studied with him five to six days, sometimes seven days a week for three years. Like uh-huh. he was like my father, guitar. guitar. Uh-huh. He was like my father. He taught me. He was the first person that showed me meditation. I didn't know anything about it. I was a jock baseball player come playing at university of south carolina played at university of virginia transferred to university of south carolina drafted by the seattle mariners hardcore big weighed 230 pounds giant muscles shaved head yeah me yeah you were on your way i was to a be it was a serious a base- serious baseball serious. player wow, and i got that. injured I, I shattered a bone in my foot that they removed and tore my shoulder and that was it super depressed the same day that's how i found music I, out of that depression i started playing guitar and uh and I, I sought out this guy who was a legendary uh, Robert Newton. Say his name. He was a legendary teacher in Columbia, South Carolina. Everyone knew him. He was like, he was like, he was like a Buddha in his own way. He was the most loving, like mm. gregarious. Everyone, you would sit on. We would have a lesson at like six or seven p.m., five, six p.m. at night at his little tiny, little tiny room on top of this music store in downtown Columbia, South Carolina. We would come out after. Every night that we would have a lesson almost, sit out on the, in, when the, the, the music store closed and just talk out on the street corner for like two or three hours. You just talk about everything. 
about life and relationships. I mean, mm. he, I was what just... What a generous spirit. He was an amazing, amazing person. But the amazing thing was you would sit there with him and literally, like, within every five-minute radius, someone was coming by, Robert! To, like, yeah. give him a hug. He was giving hugs, like, every, like, oh. five minutes because he was just so lovable. It was it was amazing to, to experience his presence. Mm-hmm. And have he you, was fierce, too. Have that was you thing. De- dedicated any work to him? Um... I went to his funeral and like had a, a string quartet played like some of my pieces for him, but I have not written a piece for him. But mm. I, but I wrote to him when he was alive, you know, sending him all. He was a ama- he was it was a really, I mean, I came, I didn't know anything when I came to him to like kind of go down the path I went down. It was, but he also like prophes prophesized. Is that the right word? Prophesied or prophesized? The like so much of what I would do from the beginning. It was really amazing. Like he was always because I really just wanted to be a guitar player and a singer. And he was like, "You're going to be this person that's going to do really big things that brings a lot of people together, mm-hmm. or, or like a, a, a lot, like these big kind of conceptual projects." Mm-hmm. That was he like his thing. It. And I wasn't into any of that at the time. I just wanted to be like a rock musician, like a rock star. And playing guitar, but well, he like saw that he, he was a, yeah. he, he was a guru to you. But he just knew like how he could see that I had like the composer kind of mind with music, as opposed to like being a virtuoso May guitarist. May I ask what took his life so young? Yeah, he was a virtuoso guitarist. He actually played with like Dizzy Gillespie and in uh, a bunch of fusion jazz guy. He was really like a fusion, but he could play every style and he taught every style. He really taught improvisation. I mean, I learned now. Noose was devoted to him. Sorry, oh, because okay. it was I revisited Noose after writing Bardo. You know, spending yes. three years writing a classical piece, and then being so burnt out of that isolation, saying I really need to play with people. But that was all because of that experience of being trained by Robert as an improviser, and all the experiences I had after that. Like I, he would take me to like. The, the, the African-American clubs in South Carolina where I was like the only white person in there and he'd force me to go up on stage and play with the blue, blues with these guys that were all like old black guys playing like music in the South and I was like 20, 21 Whoa. years old. I mean, it was like, it was a, it was a, 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 a christening, you know, in, yes. in its own way. It's a, it was an amazing thing to be able to experience but he would force me to do it because I was so like, uh, uh, um, uh, had so much stage fright and, and was shy, you know. So um, yeah, yeah. It was he was in a he was a, I don't know how I how did you the initial find discussion. out he passed? Oh, I'm sorry. He had stro- he had a strokes stroke. early on in his life in his 40s, oh. and when I met him, he had already had strokes and he lost a lot of his playing and it was really hard for him because he was like a shredder like oh. player. And he had he had re- rehabilitated a lot and was able to play. He, when I played with him, he could still play like amazing fast to me. I thought he was like amazing. Mm-hmm. But everyone's he would say and other people said that he had lost like a lot. He apparently was like really like a mm-hmm. kind of metal shredder. And then uh, in his late 50s, they came back and it was at the point, you know, he lived to uh, he had he was paralyzed for some years, mm. you know, I think pretty like bedridden before he passed. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he was. Oh, I don't now I know why I brought it up because many times we would be pra- we would have a night lesson and be talking out on the street 
and two times a cop drove up. This is Columbia, South Carolina. Drove up, rolls, but rolls up. And I was 20 years old. I didn't really understand this. And he cop rolls down the window. It goes to me. He's like, "Are you all right?" <laughs> See, yeah. And I was like, Profiling. I didn't get it at first. And I was, I said, I remember the first time it happened. Though I said to Robert, I said, I said, "Why? What was that about?" And, <laughs> and all Robert did was he just went like that and pulled on his cheek. And I was just saying, it's my, it was amazing to me to see like how prevalent that was. Um, but he also, uh, it was also the time in Columbia, South Carolina, where there was an African-American man, man every month climbing a ladder in front of the state capitol building, up a ladder, taking a, a, a torch and torching the Confederate flag. And then the police would come and arrest him, throw him in prison. He'd be in prison for like a month. He'd come out a week later, he'd go and wow. torch the flag wow. over and over until finally he was like kind of like this celebrity for wow. doing this. It was amazing. And you know they well, the finally they finally took it down. Flag company giving him a kickback. Yeah, exactly.
Ha 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 
remember a very stimulating open space with lots of instruments, musicians scattered about, and uh, you could call it uh, a scenario for chaos, but I, I thrive in those kind of places where you don't know where you're going to go, but it's so long as you're getting good sound in your headphones and, and it looks like the equipment's pretty professional, which it did look like. It looked like we, we would, if you're going fishing, you're going to catch some good fish. I felt yeah. like we were going to catch some good fish. Yeah. <laughs> I actually often think about creativity with a fishing metaphor. Mm. I think also because I grew up in by the ocean going fishing as a young child all the time. I don't fish anymore, but um, it, there is something. And it's also there was a quote by Stravinsky about how like many of his colleagues don't uh, or many artists that he knew, they, they sit around and wait for inspiration. And he's like, I don't I don't wait for inspiration. I come I come knocking at her door every day. Sometimes she answers, sometimes she doesn't. But I'm always there. And uh, um, I kind of see it as that, like fishing, when you put trust into the fact that you're just going into the action or into the um, event or the moment that something is likely to emerge, for better or worse. Um, so it's kind of, that's, uh, how about you, Arj? What is your memory of the experience? I remember meeting you in the driveway and we still were relative unknowns to and you were late other. too remember we it was a little bit late. stressful I think yep. getting there slightly yeah I think you were lost a little bit or yes something. exactly GPS. yep and you came out to the driveway and met us 
and really didn't know what to expect. And when we walked in, it was really quite a, a vibrant space. Yeah. And piggybacking on what I was um, sharing yesterday, I, my heart immediately felt like I was amidst a bunch of happy, intelligent, creative children ready to play. Um, and some were wary of us. I felt, you know, I could see some looks of, hmm, like, who are they? And they're just walking in. And some recognized Laraji immediately. And, uh, of course, your warm heart. And Anthony immediately struck me as one of the most open-hearted presences. It was like he was this throbbing heart. <laughs> um, and it was impressive. I, 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 like Laraji has shared, so enjoyed just walking into an unknown and um, allowing it to flow. Mm. And it was beautiful. And within a very short time, it felt like the synergy of people really came forward. There was definitely a, a very quick connection so that, that was my recall. I remember some beautiful vocals coming out of you uh, at some point. And yeah, I actually sang way more on that session than I anticipated. Because I didn't sing on Naus. No, I did sing on other Naus tracks. A lot, actually, a lot of screaming. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, at one point I started softly, a very soft chant, and you were the first person who picked up on it. Yeah. Um, I remember that, and then it, it it grew, and Laraji's soaring voice came in, and it was, and I just felt like we were all, there was no, no sense of, once we were in the session, there was no competitive sense to anything. It felt like everyone was reaching in to see how we could create or express and that was beautiful. Cecile? Cecile? Beautiful. Yeah. And she presence. actually, she sang a little bit, but she was more, she was really involved in parts of that session. I remember her more, I guess, from Babies All Right. Yeah, she, she had was a really big presence in that, there. Didn't she? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, she had a big presence there. And uh, yeah, she's wonderful. Um, so. Obviously, it's been a long time since that session passed. Um, what was your impression listening to the album once it, you heard it for the first time? Oh, wow. It took me right back, really. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In, it really, I, I think it triggered memory that would not have, which sound does anyway, but it really did um, put me back into the space in the best possible sense. Yeah. Um, overriding any potential tensions and such that may have evolved later, but it was, it was a beautiful experience. Yes, for me. You? I felt communal when I listened to it, uh, the idea of community celebrating, celebration that the mix provided my listening with more information than I was aware was going on. Yeah. 
recording. So there was a surprise to uh, see the development from that recording experience. Once again, I felt a celebrative Native American or indigenous celebration ceremonial energy. And the idea of my voice, I didn't remember what I did during the session. If you asked me, what did I do? I said, I don't know. what. I think there was food there. <laughs> <laughs> and people. <laughs> but then I'm listening back and hang, well, that, uh, I enjoyed what took place. Yeah. It was, um, uh, beautiful blank spot. <laughs> you could see it as loss of short-term memory you could just see it as a beautiful blank spot it's a moment well, of emptiness short-term memory to me i short-term memory means that we are so engrossed in the moment probably on an alternative frequency observing something that is not apparent when we're not uh elevated so short-term memory meaning that we're so focused there that we didn't pick up other things yeah mm -hmm. um yeah one of the one of the things you mentioned like that i find about improvisational sessions where you have particularly a larger group probably if it was a duo or a trio it wouldn't be as 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 noticeable but uh um but when you have these large sessions in a live space it's so chaotic and so hard to hear and you have kind of no idea what it really sounded like yes. but when you go back to the recording you hear all these talented people playing their moment to each what they could hear and in their own moment and you put it all together it's amazing how it's like whoa that like came in together into it, it came into something that wasn't apparent to anyone yes. you know yes. at, in that moment not the mix engineer producer i think at the board it's really like the, the person who's editing and mixing it kind of discovered which was me actually i did all the editing and mixing so i really kind of uncovered what that session was and was really like I was actually not sure how it was going to turn. I remember because it was 2014 that it was recorded. So now it's 2021. That's a long time to like be sitting on a record. Seven years and that's auspicious. Yeah. Oh, it is. Yeah. Seven is, is auspicious. And I, uh, um, I remember for the first few years, I was like, I didn't know what this, I didn't really know what it I didn't have necessarily much expectation about the session I was like I didn't know what it could become but as I started to dig into the editing of it and there was these moments um really really kind of cosmic celestial world music cosmic jam is kind of how I see it in my mind I was like wow there's really are is something special here well, many um, kudos to your editing, really. Chris. It was a lot of, it there was, was a, a lot, because lo it was a five-hour jam. Yeah, I can't <laughs> imagine. To, to you carve it into a... extracted some yeah. gems, had to be incredibly time-consuming. Yeah, it was like a full month, two months or something. Oh, I can imagine yeah. that. The seven is, is the most sacred incubation. Yeah. So 2014 to 2021 is seven. Yeah. So it's perfect it timing. Yeah, of course. <laughs> 
most impressive on an energetic level to me, Chris, who was observing, uh, again, energetically how, you know, you had a lot of strong musicians in there. And at some points there was a lot of male kind of energy going and how uh, one would anticipate, again, this competitive. And once in a while it would rise up, but then someone else would dovetail and and it would it would blend yeah and that unison that unifying it became this unifying field yeah like Luraji always talks about the unified field it, that's the noose right that's right yeah. yeah and that's that was um, the nouse noose very cool to experience that yeah um, w- with people who had their own you know, wanting to showcase and then kind of tapping in. It had almost like a kirtan and moments call and response quality to yeah. it, which yeah. was very sacred. And the and just to mention, like the the group was obviously a very ta- very talented, very diverse group of yes of people from all kinds of various projects that came together for that. Uh, it felt like a classic jam and a classic where you're especially in a country setting in a nice barn like this was a church yeah, it was a church, church with lots of instruments and musicians without a tight agenda of what we're going to do and let it spell itself out have fun interact listen for surprises go with the flow surrender to the euphoria and just hope that the engineer and the mics are capturing it all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This session was what when I had originally thought about the the Naus Noose Naus project. Um, I had envisioned this. I was my idea was to try to bring like the experience of like a retreat container, you know, where we did every morning. You guys never saw this, but every morning we uh, we gathered. Well, first off. Asana was offered like at 9 a.m. Uh, yoga, stretchy poses, co- commonly called asana, and for you know people out there. And uh, um, well, I had a teacher friend come in, Allison Sinatra, a very amazing teacher, so that people could do yoga first thing. And then we started at like 9 or 10. I think at 10 we gathered sitting in a in a group around uh, all kinds of percussion, hand percussion, mainly crystal bowls, shakers, little drums, etc. And I had a, a routine with a lot of different exercises where we started first in silence. And I know I m- mentioned this to you guys before, but um, we would do sitting meditations, so starting from silence. And then we would then do chanting. Om, there would be kind of some various presentations of leading through chanting, starting with usually obviously an om and then like vocalization exercises, encouraging people to be improvisatory with their voice and also giving them kind of mantras or toning uh, ideas and then we would move from that to body percussion exercises where we'd play body percussion to you know feel rhythm in our bodies and to stimulate you know energetically the the points of the body and then from that we would move to hand percussion you could use an instrument and voice like one of the instruments in front crystal bowls or whatever and then from that and you could also we're encouraged to get up and move uh, you know, dance to start as Laraji and I both are. Um, I, are you involved in Fiverr Institute? Yeah. And uh, um, 
and uh and then after all that so we've emerged from total silence to then we pick up our instruments and start the day recording you know so we go to the drums we go to our instruments so the idea is to stimulate from the silence through the body through like the you know she's the body and then out externally into your electric instruments and then the idea was at the end of the day to, to reverse that process and bring it back into the silence did never worked actually because it was the, the, the evening was so tired. Like you know, people were so tired. You didn't really get to do that evening session. But but anyway, so my my idea was to try to bring these concepts of sound healing into like a recording project for musicians. A lot of musicians who might actually some had some experience with it, but some it was really foreign to them. Um, there was definitely. Uh, miscalculation about how that uh could should or could be presented to people that necessarily you know weren't really knowing what they were getting into in a way um uh but at the same time i i think there was there was certainly moments i think where it opened up and people appreciate i hope that there was moments that they definitely appreciated it and when it's something that new to an individual you can trust that that something bubbled up yeah uh, well it, well undeniably it led to some i mean i don't know if that was a causation or what kind of causation it was it was some kind of causation of course but it led to an extraordinarily creative session you know, four albums that are all you know quite unique and uh, um but uh my <clears throat> point in bringing that all up was that our session was actually like my vision that the, the, the pinnacle thing. of the vision. Okay. It was kind of like how I imagined the sessions, <laughs> like like manifesting. It would took you guys to kind of come in and then thank you because you mm. made my dreams come true. <laughs> in Dreamland. In Dreamland. No, in Dreamland. That's funny. Was no, that no, no. Name of the studio? Yes, Dreamland. Dreamland. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, just the energy that, of that session. We had that energy at different times, but like, uh, it, really what I was kind of envisioning was the energy that you guys ended up being a part of and, and being well, a main factor for, for causing it to ripen. I appreciate your inclusion of us and trusting on two unknowns to you uh, and following the, the greater guru. Yeah. It, was, it was a remarkable undertaking on your part. And I think back after, you know, not thinking about it for very long until you reached out to us, uh, I had forgotten how much you had to juggle. It, it's extraordinary. The number of people, the locations, the the equipment, performance. the, the performances, performances, two performances, big and, ones. There the was one so was, much, Christopher. Yeah. I've said to Laraji, I don't know how you, I don't know how you wore that many hats, and uh, and managed it because it, it it really was a an extraordinary undertaking. Well, I had you know, I lined, Cecilia was a huge help, you know. Mm. Kevin was a huge help, and of course the players are all, you know, amazing what they brought to the table. Um, so, you know, I didn't do it, but I definitely, it was definitely, 
which is very uh, particularly of that it's something I'm trying to learn from as I've now hit my 40s but in you know I, I very easily imagined things that were way bigger than I than I could essentially chew or manage so I've, I try to be more conscious of what the mind can conjure up the papancha as they say like in Pali the proliferation of the mind can really create many problems so I, when I design a project now I'm trying to be much more like conscious of not making it too complicated and actually well, my and, and my collaboration with Gareth Jones and Nals Alpha has been a huge actually help in just a conceptual development because he's a minimalist you know electronic minimalist he's done so many amazing albums um and then, I mean, and then knowing you guys, like I see how you have managed touring around the world, you know, and having to manage that setup in Laraji, I've, 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 I assume that's something that you've had been conscious of for a long time, knowing living in Harlem and having to play around the city all the time and carrying a New York City musician learns how to scale down uh, pretty yes. quickly. Um, Make it manageable and effective. Yeah, yeah. I use the term compact, lightweight, and portable. That's it. Yeah. But at the same time, there's still, there's something magic about big chaos that you, nothing can replicate. It's like, like many orchestral pieces, like, you know, are so big and epic and complex and some people might not like them, but they are, they have a very extraordinary, uh, identity or experience you know well i Um, encourage you to reverse roles here a moment to continue to think big and grand that's your nature (laughs) and 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 to allow yourself the recognition of that and self-honoring uh it's essential to it's not it's not ego when you do it with the humility and awareness that you bring, recognizing that it comes from a greater source directing, it can't help but evolve into something really gorgeous and meaningful. Yeah. Uh, so there are people who are meant, like Gareth, to be minimalist in nature. There are people who are are not meant well, to Well, Gareth be. calls me a maximalist. Well, I like that. <laughs> and, and, there, and, and it's not to be underrated. Yeah, and that's what our collaboration, that's what's so special about our collaboration. It's the maximalist and the minimalist and challenging each balance. other. Uh, you know, pushing each other, and then, and then we meet in the middle. Yes, it's beautiful. It's the middle path. Yeah, and I think that when collaborations like that happen, we... What's beautiful about it is it brings you to your middle, right? Like yeah. you start, you experience more of the middle, which is You're the centering. more wholesome aspect of yourself. From the moment, like, you envisioned this grand project to now, if you were told 
okay, you could re-enter that, but with this perspective, what would be the three top things that you would alter, if anything? I'd be less attached, number one. Even though I tried to be, it was harder than you realize than I realized. I thought I was not attached, but I was still um, How would you go about doing that? Oh, I don't know. I would just... Uh, I don't know how I would go about by non-doing. I, th- I think more than anything. But uh, um, uh, it's hard to say. You know, it's not, I wouldn't really change anything. It was a great learning experience. You know, it was pain. There was, there was some challenges and there was tension that uh, that happened over the course of the time um with hindsight on that tension though which is very rich to plumb without judging what well one of the big problems with that was was the fact that there were one of the things that led to tension was the the cameras being there but oh, I wouldn't okay. want to not have oh. the cameras there, you know, because the video footage of it was is so Rich. amazing and yeah. important. Mm. And I, I was thinking about that as saying, well, maybe I wouldn't have cameras because it led to a lot of tension. Everyone, I'm, but uh, really, people were self conscious. Well, it just it? was intense over six days having cameras okay. around. But like capturing those sessions was what was so magical about it, you know, on film. And I, in, in, in the future, any sessions that I'm doing, like that live ones, I'm, I'm trying to capture. And people know about it in, 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 in advance. advance you know? sure. But, um, uh, so yeah, it's hard, it's hard to say. Like, I mean, when I did the version in 2018 with Carl Berger and 16 other musicians, uh, um, there was no tension. It was just mm. really, really beautiful for six straight days it was also a very rotating group Carl and me were the only two remaining people it was really our collaboration and then we brought in all these other people and where did you record here in the the studio yeah and uh um but I think that I learned a lot from the first and uh the uh, the the primary thing I think I learned about that I learned a very deep lesson that we were just speaking about was that if you're going to try to bring something that is esoteric um, or practices that are esoteric, um, you have to be very cautious about who you ask to do that. Um, and in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, the more I've read about that, and the more I've understood, like, I mean, it's actually considered a breaking of vows to talk about emptiness and to teach emptiness to someone who's not ready for it. Well, it's and in biblically, it's don't cast pearls before swine. Yeah. And it, that's not meant to be a, uh, a horribly uh, derogatory no, image. It's just a recognition. It can be damaging to the person. It can be damaging yeah. the person because their receptivity is... And to the external environment. Right. Yeah. And then everything gets impacted yeah. that touches upon... Which, fast forward to entering the space in the Basilica, that's part of what I think was being experienced, even 
without any conscious recognition. Yeah. And I mean, the, and the big thing related to that that I've learned in general from my own spiritual practice, primarily in Buddhism, but of course, like, you know, yogic, Vedantic theory, whatever, but and more and more, starting in Buddhism and kind of coming back to it, really, I was always non-defining myself as I didn't want to be defined, you know, you know, just, you know, that I, meaning that like I, seeing the perennial philosophy, right, which I believe in the perennial philosophy, of course, but I now kind of define myself as a Buddhist to people because of the fact that, as you know, Thich Nhat Hanh was so, so instrumental in pulling me out of the abyss, you know, in my mid-20s, and then so many moments of healing in the Buddhist tradition and from the Buddhist teachings that at one point I just realized, you know, I need to honor those teachers as much as possible. And in my life now, actually, I see the greatest thing that I can do is to try to support Buddhist causes more than anything, because it's like we live in an extraordinary era where the Dharma has now come to the West for the first time in the history of the world within the last hundred years. It's nothing. And like, the, in a way, the Buddhist teachings have just been born. So like the greatest thing that I can do in my life outside of raise my son is just actually mm. try to help Dharma survive to the next generation and beyond you know so that's mm. like where I'm seeing myself my my energies are going more and more into that because I just see it as the precious jewel that I in my life I mean I know there's there's other paths I'm not saying it's the only path no, but it's I'm the path that liberated that. me yes and, I mean and, from and, my own suffering and it's very as you say as time says always honor your root tradition yeah it's one of the things about Thai that's so remarkable is Theravada and Mahayana practice in many Buddhist minds are very distinct. It's like Catholic and Protestant. Yeah. And in Vietnam is the only Buddhist country where Theravada and Mahayana Buddhism intersect. Yeah. And Thai was uh, a monastic, made a monk in the Mahayana tradition, but he respects the Theravada and he he blends them. And not only that, he, he encourages those who he can touch to also bring in your root tradition, whether it's Muslim or Christian or uh, Wiccan, it doesn't matter. And, and he's sincere about that. So, so uh, that's where I think he is a, a, a teacher uh, for the modern age yeah. of spirituality because he is so inclusive yeah. and sincere. I will say actually also that Goenka, um, Vipassana and Goenka's teachings is, is he, he bridges. coming from the Theravada directly, like the Burmese Theravadan tradition. He has done the same thing with his method of offering vipassana and 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 being very inclusive to whoever comes. And very interesting stories where he's had like Catholic nuns and priests that have come to do vipassana. And and he in the first Dharma talk he talks like you do you do uh, he encourages you to take refuge in the Dharma yes. Buddha Dharma Sangha for the term of that. Vipassana session just for that container of protection, 
that you're going through is you're going deep into your mind in a vipassana. But um, he encourages everyone. I mean, he's Hindu, well, Hindu root that became essentially a Buddhist. But they atheist, agnostic, whatever. It doesn't matter. Christian, Jewish, Muslim. You just all you're doing is these practices that are very scientific. That are very pra- there's no you know in in the Theravadan tradition and uh, Vipassana tradition. And uh, but he's had these. He, he tells stories of how he's had Catholic nuns and priests that have come to do a Vipassana, and they told him afterwards that it was the first the the first time they felt that they actually learned how to pray in their life. Yes, yes, and those it, practices. Well, and and that as I shared with you about my son Elias, uh, which I I I'm so looking forward to the two of you having a conversation. But when he was in Burma. And he took vows, shaved his head, had the robes placed, all of that. Um, I can't say for certain whose overarching teaching he was under monastically, but there were as exactly what you're saying. He was with people who came from all kinds of faith traditions. And indeed, when the uprising started, they banded there, there were Jewish rabbis, Catholic priests, nuns, um, Muslim hi- hierarchs, every, everyone together. So I'm imagining that's what you're saying. And they totally, yeah. And I mean, it, it, when you think about it, all, and all vipassana really is primarily is following your breath, concentrating your mind in the present moment, and then scanning your body for like ten hours a day yeah. for ten days. And that sounds so simplistic, but the things that happen when you do that in healing and going, the insights that you have about your own life and your own being are so deep. And no distractions. And profound. But it, it, there's no religion there. Right. It's just being in, in it's science. It's, the, it's just nature. You know, it's, 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 a, it's a cultivating an extremely strong state of mindfulness over a, a period of time, which opens up. An, a, a, an energy experience that is, from the normal state of mind, supernatural, even though it's very natural. Have you had Vipassana retreat experience in Asia? Not in Asia, only here, and yeah. only in the United States, yeah. Yeah, I've never been to Asia. I wonder what that would be like for you at this stage. Well, I always feel, though, too, it's like uh, it, it's like you said yesterday, oh. if God's not in the Coke bottle, then where is he? True. <laughs> like, I, I, I always feel like, you know, you can find it everywhere. Though it would be, there is like, There's something... I really would love to go to Bogaya, like, hmm. my life. Yeah, for sure, but we'll see. Well, there's every every locale has a story right and 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 again an energy energy, a residual energy that and that that is definitely um a component yeah it certainly is not geographically necessary yeah yeah totally
you talk a little bit about how your perspective on creativity has changed from the time you were young, even a child, to like in your 20s to now? I mean, because you've had a obviously extremely long arc of a career. Yeah, uh, I would say if I had to give a short answer, the biggest shift is the sense of what I'm doing. You know, what what are you doing? You walk up to a creative artist who's playing the piano. What are you doing? And then I'm like, what do you mean? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? And said, so what is your intention? What do you think you're doing? And I could say, at the beginning, I'm having fun at the piano and I'm just releasing energy and mimicking my favorite artists and enjoying the sound of feeling like a, a performer and really immersing myself in the moment that creativity allows, which means a collapse of future and past. You're, you're in the moment. Now, uh, I would say I'm here sitting in the piano playing inside my house. Now, if you ask me, I says, I'm resonating through the universal field right now. And I am tickling and massaging my image of a universal presence. Uh, I am whispering through every individual who is immersed in the one field right now. So it's more of um, a radiation of, of touching the absolute and touching everything within the absolute using the imagination so I am no longer in the third dimension or in a concert hall if, if I'm seated in a concert hall my preparation before the performance is to check my focus um, you could do chanting which helps liberate the sense into the breath carries us back to the prana the prana which is everywhere and so now the change, the difference is the placement of, my, of the music I'm doing. Where am I placing it? I am placing it within an absolute field of now. Uh, and also I'm trusting spontaneity more deliberately rather than thinking that it's the exception that sitting in front of a piece of paper and playing music would be the main thing. Now, uh, play, sitting in front of a piece of paper and following someone else's music is not the main thing. The main thing is trusting the spontaneity and letting that be the official uh, uh, focus, trusting the spontaneity, so that when I step on stage, I am not missing a lead sheet or a, a conductor. I am trusting and that's, for that reason, it's necessary before performance to have quiet or to be with those who know how, who are friends of meditation. I like to say, friends of meditation. They know how to be with an artist who's preparing or someone who is going internal and needs to have the external uh, quiet or aligned. So I'd say the difference between then and now is trusting spontaneity as the major uh, way of letting creativity happen and also a refined sense, refined through meditation and contemplation and listening to teachers in Sangha in a satsang define the space which is not apparent, the universal field the omni space and uh, nadam, which is sound current defines the absolute the music defines the absolute the best for me mm -hmm. I listen to Nadam the inner sound current it speaks 
in, I think, vertical intelligence. It's, and it shows, helps me to align my local nervous system with, I say, the nervous system of the universe. And Madam speaks in the tone of timelessness, the tonality of timelessness. And also, Nadam is amazing in that it represents to me a lightness or a luminous field. And it's amazing to, to think that what we perceive as hardcore creation is somehow being produced or sourced from a very luminous weightlessness. thing is as and and this doesn't mean it has to come with chronological age but being reflective there's a passion and an urgency and a not necessarily confident um, element that the key point is trust <laughs> to develop a, whatever skill sets you need to trust what you are bringing forth without holding back you can go back and refine it but allow it to come forward just trust 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 and with time and experience i think that that trust is uh is the key to everything it's laraji hit on it beautifully that idea that when i have the the delight and, and honor of accompanying Laraji on stage, that period before we go out of connecting within and then silently but energetically with each other, and then going out with a joyful spirit of anticipating that what's going to come forward is really going to be what's meant to be in that moment. So I'm not sure if every young uh, creative has the luxury of a spiritual practice. And I'm not saying that someone who doesn't cannot produce wonderful things. But I think it's a huge uh, support. And for this kind of experience that I've been privileged to have, and I'm now uh, approaching my 71st year in September uh, in this form on the planet, um, I'm feeling such gratitude that I can tap into that sense of the sacred and trust, 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 uh, that what will happen will be. Uh, when we are performing... Uh, I remember this particularly um, two years ago we were 
at DC Festival at the Kennedy Center on the Millennium Stage. Extraordinary venue, top quality everything, top quality sound folks, the whole thing. And realizing like 10 minutes into the set that uh, I was in a little bit of awe of being on that particular stage and then really about 10 minutes into it it just struck me that hey this is no different than sitting in the family room in upstate New York together and all I need to do is trust Laraji's lead and come in and it was an amazing unfoldment I literally knew where he was going before he got there because of that that trust if that makes sense so I'm talking I guess in a great deal to young artists about collaboration uh, to and and that's the other thing that a spiritual practice I think if you devote yourself it takes off that human nature's competitive edge mm. it's not about a competitive um, when you're collaborating it's about enhancing one another yeah. for an experience go back to 2014 in dreamland yeah. for me I felt that was my role even if I did nothing but sit there was to hold space and just kind of feel into the energy of nurturance for one another. Uh, it's, it's, it brought up a lot of, I mentioned it yesterday, maternal feeling, which I, I don't know how else to verbalize it. Yeah. When you're collaborating, male or female by birth, you can tap into that feminine nurturing, receptive energy, that's a big key to productivity and honest flow. Laraji's constantly tapping into that feminine receptacle yeah. within him, mm-hmm. is my sense of these 13 years of, of together. It's a... Uh, um definitely something that I have become more and more conscious of of as I've gotten older that um, seeing myself as a young artist in the path that I, especially coming out of like uh, sports and baseball, but um, there's, and and I've seen it in I'd say probably, I would say the high majority of artists and musicians are doing it for a sense of themselves, for a sense of accomplishment or a sense of self-grandiose or look what I can do look how great my licks are you know how great of a singer I am how great of a songwriter I am it's very much like look how wonderful I am on stage you know versus there's a shift that happens where it becomes may I be of benefit for you may you derive benefit from this performance you know may may this be for the audience may this be some kind of gift or offering and that's gigantic monumental shift of mind which is so simple but mm. such a huge shift changes every that can change everything in a, a very yes. it's in a, in what could be deemed only as a magical way in a, in, in a sense 
like the energy that comes then into the that experience and into that moment completely changes when you become a vessel of selflessness. Yes, I can. That, that can neutralize stage fright too. When yeah. you think that you, yes, when you yes. know and feel that what you have to offer is a gift, and it's and you're just anxious. Yeah, I like to share this with <laughs> you. And is that often how you feel that you're kind of experiencing it for yourself? Yes, that I'm offering a gift, something, something that should enhance you psychologically or emotionally, and that's. One reason why I say rehearsing beforehand or tuning up your instrument and really getting the feel of just how good your music sounds to you. And, gee, I'm wonderful to share this zither tuning with an audience because it's so magical and haunting. So knowing and feeling that what I have is of value to me and feeling it's going to be value to someone else. One analogy I have is someone who stage frights is... Would you have difficulty going on stage and offering everybody in the audience twenty dollars? No. You think they'd accept it? I think they pretty. You think they'd be happy? Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah, I'd be good. So we'll think of your music as you're enhancing someone's life or enriching someone's life. If you really feel that, that uh, should take the edge off anything uh, apprehension about going on stage and offering what you have. And that might be a, just a good way to approach the rest of your life of of performing that what I have to offer is here, like you said, to enrich and enhance your uh, mind space, emotional space, or to encourage you to move toward your dreams. Yeah. I mean, it, and it, it, it's something that I, um, over, of like 14 years of, of Tibetan Buddhist study, even though my primary tradition is not Tibetan, but the Tibetans in particular always are about dedicating the merit of their practice. Um, and this is a huge thing in Tibetan Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Of course, all forms of many contemplative traditions do a similar thing, but the Tibetan teachers really hound on this idea always. Every session that you do, that you end with a dedication of the merit, right? And that's why, you know, that they teach that, they teach that because they know that the energy flow will, will stay in a, a more uh, open, uh, creative, um, and a wholesome state when any action that you do you end with that reminder or that mental intention to share it with all beings you know or whoever it may be it could just be your son or your daughter or your girlfriend and also yourself i mean it's not to not to negate the importance of also saying may this be healthy for myself of course there's a great benefit to that but Come and that's what you're saying encapsulates again the idea of non-competitive. Yeah. As long as we, as in Buddhism, they talk. There's a lot of talk about watering seeds. Are you, yeah. which seeds are you going to water? And if you, if you're not careful, and you constantly are watering the those seeds that feed the competitive nature that's part of our construct, then it's very challenging to envision serving, giving as being something that you're giving right back to yourself in in triple what you're giving out. Uh, And the Tibetans are wonderfully um, clear uh, on that. And, and amongst, I think, the least competitive, those who have practiced in Tibetan Buddhism that I've encountered, 
truly epitomize loving kindness in a way that is like wow blows your socks off (laughs) Lama Lanang's a perfect example he is pure energy of loving kindness to everyone and everything in every situation couple notes here and I think we'll be wrapping up soon but I wanted to ask you and this is kind of related to what we were just talking about um obviously we it's and although it's been great for some of us in this last year it's been extremely challenging time for modern human history a lot of a lot of a lot of uh very gross apparent negativity in the world right now and I'm curious like how do you guys deal with that energy in the shared consciousness consciousness sphere and also how do you at all if at all feel that you relate to it artistically um and of course i'm talking about politics i'm talking about environments i'm talking about you know all all the stuff and i know like when you guys you guys had a tour in turkey i remember a few years ago where there was a bombing i think like right then right um uh, I'm just we cur- were oblivious to it, yeah. and the bomb went off in the airport. We were in Istanbul, w- w- probably within 20 minutes after we had boarded our flights, and had no idea it had happened. And when we got home, or when, uh, there, for me at least, there was a series of messages from people who knew that we were flying out of Istanbul at that time. And so many people were killed, and uh, so much horror. Um, but again, being oblivious, and I thought about that often, and how how that how how do you stay out of the the quagmire and and not be oblivious to it, so that you can somehow. Um, provide solace and without being dragged yeah it's it's very tricky i think and this year has certainly been full of that for me personally i i have felt myself yo-yo in and out of different emotional states um and now i'm thinking on it as how can i be a force for positive embodiment of what is potential um, some of it is become becoming more aware of the social dialogue um, I, th- I see a lot of ne- you know how it's said that things have to go to an extreme how the pendulum goes before it can come to the center I see a lot of extremism right now, and I'm not judging it. I imagine it's necessary, but I I have to keep my distance from it. Like, 
being so careful to be politically correct with everything I say is stifling. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't know a lot of the language of the 30-year-old generation right now. Mm-hmm. It's, so, it's like a whole different language. Mm-hmm. And I've been asked to be at certain Zoom conferences, and I just really keep my mouth shut and listen because I, I need to learn what they're saying, you know, and what's, what that's about because um, I, I need to learn. Now at 7D, I need to learn from the 20s and 30s what it is they're feeling so passionately so that I can figure out what my elderhood role is. That's how I see myself now, Mm -hmm. needing to carve out my role as an elder to support what's evolving. Mm -hmm. And COVID really brought all of that to the foreground Mm -hmm. in so many ways. The homeless situation, the desperation, the rise in young suicide, the the hostility, the divisiveness, the us and them, all of that has been heightened. Mm -hmm. It's like like the bandage was ripped off this, this wound that has been festering for so long. And it's good. There's air and sunlight, but it's also causing this turmoil. So I have to be detached and present. But that's like where the practice really comes into play to keep the mind stable enough to be able to not fall into despair states that you have the capacity to be able to come back to yourself and to the present moment and states of joy or consciousness of the joy that's always actually ever present um if you can access it uh i think for young people again or uh i that's what i would want to would hope to teach my son you know that to develop that strength of center so that you can look at it but be able to not be drawn into Mm -hmm. the wood and to be aware of a quality that i think we've um not prized enough in raising our children my generation is teaching them how to tap into their natural ability to be discerning discernment is so necessary and so undervalued and so unrepresented it's 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 critical to having a fruitful rich life rewarding service oriented to have discernment to trust yourself to trust that feeling that you get when you meet someone who on the surface presents a certain way but inside you're kind of going hmm but you go with this because it's so alluring when you're young especially i think you're drawn to this it's so wow but in here don't tune that out that's discernment and listen to it. Avoid the pitfalls. A lot of pitfalls are very present today that have always been around but are exacerbated. Um, but yes, that detachment. What about you, Laraji? With like, how do you view do you the, the, your place within what we were speaking about, or creatively, or just personally? However, you might relate to it. 
Well, one phrase that teacher, Sri Brahmananda, would repeat is, mind your own business. Mind your own business. We get caught up in business that's not really our business. Uh, and we say, it's, is it our business to be mindful of everything that's going on on the planet? Who's kicking whose butt and who's raising who from the dead? Uh, and you could become a nervous wreck if you tried to manage the affairs of the planet, especially the affairs that you don't have really control over, nor do the government heads or the Pope have control over it. So minding your own business, and so how do you get to understand what is your own business? And that's where meditation comes in, and the term meditative understanding, to get in touch with your meditative self and from there decide what is your true business. And usually the business is of this present moment, the universal field, maintaining your sense of alignment with the eternal. And if I do this before I go to YouTube or CNN and figure out, oh my God, <laughs> and you're mining the world's business, for, and your, your business is just shot. <laughs> As they would say, even shot the shit. But <laughs> but if you before you go to the television, you sit down and you breathe, and if you know some yoga postures, and you become aligned with the divine and timelessness, then you turn on the television and you says, "Oh, okay, there's that," and you let it go and you let it flow, and you don't get bent out of shape if you're grounded in. Uh, the underlying frame of reference. Know your underlying frame of reference. So minding your business in the midst of observing the world's business, the fleeting business unfolding. Now, is this to say to ignore the world? No, I say it's to uh, observe the world from a place of self being aligned with a divine, with the internal. And... Uh, to not get bent out of shape is to have a sense of grounding that is not subject to the flux, fluxing uh, program of the world. Uh, what was the other part of that question? How to, how to remain? Uh, how, how you deal with it creatively? How deal with it. One thing, if I find myself getting annoyed with situations or people or anything, it's an indication that I'm not giving enough time to meditative sitting. You know, and I said, why am I getting upset about this? Why am I letting that disturb me? Well, it's like a mindfulness bell for you. Yeah, and then I said, you know, I'm not spending enough time with meditative sitting. And whenever I spend a half an hour deliberately of sinking in to the zone and reconnecting and refeeling the absolute presence, and then move forward with a, a more dependable sense of calm and equilibrium and balance... And I said, oh, yeah. So if I'm getting upset about somebody, it's not that they're doing something wrong. It's that I'm not in the best place to contain that in the context of an eternal universe. I believe that the universe is perfect and whole. There are no accidents and there's no errors. And if I am in touch with that frequency of, uh, of whatever you call it, purpose, then I don't let f the fleeting world take me out of shape. Now, that's not to say if someone comes up and asks me for money for a meal, 
then I'm going to ignore them. Um, generally, if that happens and I feel connected to that person, rather than just give them money, I'll just sell me some information. You know, it's empower them right there. You've got a job. Sell me some information. And if, did you know there's a street festival two blocks down? And I think, no, I didn't. Hey, that's worth $2 or $3. <laughs> Once I offered somebody $20 and he broke down the whole thing between Republicans and Democrats and what the whole a political process, I said, wow, that's worth more than $20. <laughs> that's an amazing way to deal to, to deal with... Keep someone's esteem yeah, intact. Yeah, and when someone asks you for yeah. money, like to and say power that. them right there. Brilliant. Yeah. I've yeah. seen Laraji do that yeah. in the city, where I, when I, when we first connected, and I was going into Harlem, like uh, oblivious, um, and Laraji would like kind of guide me around. Uh, anytime I saw someone, he'd go, "No, <laughs> you know, it was tugging at me." And then I watched what he was doing, and that was a, a recognition of someone honoring them and having this wonderful self-esteem uh, infusion. Mm-hmm. And then they felt really good. Yes. Not only did they get what they thought they were asking for, they got far more. So what she's saying, reminding me that I do a lot of reframing. Yeah. You know, somebody says, I'm homeless. And if, if I come into my center and realize that we're on a planet that's rare in the galaxy, you, you call yourself homeless, you've got a prime piece of real estate right under your feet here. To, to look at somebody who's saying they're homeless, I says, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, well, let me put you on Venus or put you on Mars right now. and I'll show you homeless. <laughs> <laughs> or Jupiter, where there's not even ground. It's just gas. <laughs> ago you were acknowledging how you like remarkable it was to kind of come to success like later in your life um so many musicians artists like struggle with that sense that they're never successful they never will be many people give up on on the creative process because they never achieve the success and and it bothers them so much that they end up which is it's also a fine thing to give it up but uh um how do you how do you kind of look back on that now? That whole, I mean, for it must have been many many years where you felt pretty. Yes. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit. Well, my earlier years, I remember writing music out on paper very meticulously and sending it to the Library of Congress, and none of that music ever went anywhere, did anything. <laughs> you know, but it was a process. The music now that we associate with my success or the success of the music that comes through me is none of it is written down. And it, it's free flow, spontaneous, right direct to digital. And I look at this now and I say, oh, 
I used to slave over that paper and send it to the Library of Congress. It's my music. I read it. Oh, great. And uh, the music that I don't have time to even think about, I don't call it my music because it comes through time without me actually knowing what's going to come through. So it's... uh, so I'm letting the universe collaborate with me. I guess instead of my music, it's our music. So the idea of inviting the power within me, the higher power, whatever, the divine angels, the guides that want to work through, let them share in the glory too. So it's become easier. And when we say success, I remember using mind science to correct my thinking. The, uh, we can want success, but our, we don't have the mental equivalent in place to receive it. So the idea of mind science it says you shift your mind science to uh, you shift your mindset to you know when you spend five dollars don't spend it like it's your last spend it like it's like you've spend money like you've got money that's one of my attitudes spend money like you've got money so that that five dollars is a hologram of let's say infinite un, infinite supply rather than spend it like it's it's one half of what I've got. So the mindset, mind, mind science helped me to shift my mindset about uh, prosperity. Uh, even if you don't feel you have it in the bank, you can develop a mindset. You go act, acting as if, acting as if, learning how to act as if. So with uh, success, success, eventually what happened along the way, mind science I practice a collage that is drawing a figure of a record storage shelf and then drawing blank spines of record. And then I would write in imaginary titles of records that I had produced. So I was getting in touch with the idea of seeing my records on other people's uh, library. That's called Beyondic. Imagine if you were successful what would it look like in the world? People would have your records, CDs. You would turn on the radio and hear your music. So you start practicing what it would be like to be successful. So that's shifting your mindset and aligning yourself to what it's like to be successful. Get into that state and projecting yourself and imagining, pretending, acting as if. and. If you're in a life situation with someone else who thinks you've lost it, you have to re- really <laughs> rethink, you know, why are you doing it like that? You know, you can... And I did this and without knowing who Brian Eno was. And somehow Brian Eno showed up in my life shortly after I was doing these exercises. of In mind science, it says, don't pray for something specific. Pray for the right, you know, the, oh, the right transportation the right producer. That's what, and Brian Eno shows up. I never knew a Brian Eno. And, uh, Had no idea who he yeah. was. Yeah, and so it happened to be the right producer for launching me onto the next level. So the idea of right, 
learning how to pray for the right without filling in too much detail and knowing finding the right transportation finding the right residence you know i want to live in a condo in uh valhalla and uh well because you can go specific <laughs> if you want to or you could say i would like the next right uh residence and you might find that the next residence is in harlem <laughs> what <up? laughs> Yeah, this is right for your evolution. This is where you need to be. And uh, so when we plan specifically from our limited sense of what's going on, we'll create more limitation or a container to perpetuate our limitations. But when we let uh, divine collaborate through us and the divine design says, ah, you're ready to be there because that will take you where you need to go and where you don't yet understand you want to be. So the mind science, imagination, creating collages of that represent where you want to be, where you want to go. On uh, So now I look at the record, my library at home of my records, and I look, that looked like what I was drawing years ago. My records up there with the spine sticking out. And a realization comes over. Okay, it's time for me to visualize the next place I want to be or what I want to do. And But my primary visualization is to ever deepen myself as this conscious channel of the divine right where I am. And all we, I have to jump in for a moment, as Laraji was saying about Brian Nino's uh, appearance... And he had no idea who he was, and that launched a very uh, putting him into international spotlight for a number of years. Um, About five years ago, Brian did a series of lectures in Manhattan, and the big, big culminating event was Brian Eno at Cooper Union. And we were his guests, among others, that night. Um, packed house at Cooper Union, standing room only, people still streaming outside, hoping they could get in. And early into Brian's talk, and he's showing uh, slides of his early boyhood, the humble beginnings, all of this. And at one point, and Laraji had stepped out of the auditorium to put money in the meter. And then they flash on the screen, Laraji. And Brian says, and then this orange being entered my life and my whole world changed. <laughs> that, that's how Brian describes Laraji. Oh, interesting. Oh, yeah. And it was such a beautiful moment. And I remember sitting there like in the first or second row with his lady and uh, thinking, oh, my God, I hope he's in here to see this tribute that Brian's paying to him in front of these thousands of people. Um, And what it said to me is this quality that I have witnessed in Laraji over and over of humility and recognition that humility isn't about being humble. It's a 
but it's all it's about being balanced and it's also the term right sized mm-hmm. keeping your ego right sized mm-hmm. and that's uh it's it's something that i always am in awe of laraji's capacity to be right sized sometimes your original question of this seeming detachment that could be perceived by some as apathy is part of that same construct mm. humility right sized thinking not mm. thinking yourself too too big for or too little of mm. and that's a part for young people and esteem that's essential I, I see too many young brilliant people who question themselves so much and it breaks my heart it's like oh my god look at what you have who you are what you bring don't put so much emphasis on on those things that you think you're deficient in focus on your strengths build on them don't focus on what you perceive as your weaknesses self love self love self acceptance all of that it, if without that the creative process is totally hamstrung mm-hmm. if you cannot love what is coming forth through you then your own creativity is a fraction if that of your potentiality yeah. that uh, if you can love what's coming through you this is how you can trust that what's coming through you is beautiful is uh, bliss oriented and can support your tribe, your community, in a positive way. But how do you know that this is well, a feeling? If it feels good for you, and uh, and you're getting feedback from your community, your tribe. I gotten feedback on the zither earlier that I didn't realize how much people were getting from my zither. I was getting a lot and sharing a lot, but I the hammered work. And I hear people were going into trance. I said, "What? You are?" <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, taking feedback helped me to know to trust that what I was offering was of value. So, learning to accept. Also, in the Washington Square Park where I was playing, there was a group of Eastern musicians playing mandolin. They were the old, the old crew. One time, one of them came up to me and says, you know, I listen to your music. You go, plinkty, plinkty, plinkty. I don't hear no melody. Where is this? <laughs> yeah, this is in Washington Square Park. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so I don't hear no melody. Just plinkty, plinkty, plinkty. <laughs> you know? And then Brian comes along and says, I like what you're doing. That's ambient. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and you never, and that was the other part that was so amazing. Until Brian connected with you, he had never even heard the term ambient. He had to work very hard to try to explain to Laraji what this word ambient meant, which was wonderful because, um, because why? Because our minds play a game on us and they try to compartmentalize everything. Part, at least a big part of what Laraji comes through him is not compartmentalized it's it's part of that vastness so to label it as ambient 
was like, what? What? Ain't label it as new age. What? Uh, don't label it. Don't label yourself. They label it just so they can categorize it as exactly. a genre. Yeah. Records who are on Ex- Spotify. Exactly. And yeah. and that, what? Yeah, that's just, why that not? easy and effortless flow is one of the teachings in Course of Miracles. Yeah. In Course Course in Miracles, it's said that if what you are attempting to do doesn't feel easy and effortless, then it's not meant to manifest at that moment. Yeah. So so don't be don't knock your head against the wall. question for you yeah that uh it said that uh, and for an artist their work is never complete so the best way to end it is to to abandon it you never complete art you abandon it you just have to decide when okay i'm going to abandon it so at what point do you abandon the news product project to say okay it's ready for an album when it's ready, like when the editing, mixing, when it's complete as a production, you mean? When, when, right. at you what point it? do you say, okay, this is ready? In the studio, oh, there's a studio process, um, and the, that's very much a, a phenomena that I've evolved with over the years and been very conscious of. Um, What I find is that, first off, I know in most cases it's going to require a lot of time over a period of time. You know, in some cases it's three years on some of my projects, like studio work on it. And uh, in that, in the news case, it was uh, two months probably or something of editing, mixing. Um, I first off just, again, approach it like, a day job like uh, I have an allocation of time every day I show up and I do the work and as long as it takes as, as much nourishment or attention or mindfulness as it requires until I can I intuit that it's complete um, I keep on giving that it to it and that's also something that's evolved with trust over the years because I used to really slave over that in the 20s and actually I went through five years of total writer block where I wrote hundreds of songs that I never wrote, finished we never finished recording. It was like a four or five year period of total self-doubt and, and confusion. But I, I, I grew so much in that period because I had to go through all this writing and, and doubt about being able to complete anything to get to the point where I understood that what you had to do is like trust the process and trust your, yourself. But trust. And I learned that mainly by realizing that when I had an idea of a sketch I would re- when if I'd record the idea or if I was in the studio working on a song the importance of taking a break and getting away for it for a period of time and then revisiting it because what happens with my case at that time less so now because this becomes so part of a process but it but I found that whenever I'd be in the process there was this voice in my mind that was always like this is terrible this sucks you know what I mean? this really negative kind of criti- critic but then if I like 
put it away and sometimes discover these. I used to record everything on little my little demo thing on a little tape recorder. I, and I really actually miss that, you know, the cassette tape. And uh, um, I'd listen back to it like six months or a year later and be amazed at some of the stuff, totally not even remembering doing it, but like amazed that I did that, you know. But I knew that at the time it was, there was like this critic, you know, in the mind. And I still have that sometimes now, but less so because I I, I trust the process more. Um, So, but also the critic, the the critic of my mind is is also my friend because he it 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 pushes me through perseverance to get to the point where i feel that i can make a an agreement with it and say yeah okay that's good enough you know we can we can come to an appeasement at this point but in the meantime he's just bitching and moaning you know in my, my brain like you suck this sucks <laughs> <laughs> and I, even this project I had a lot of you know I know I always have that that's what makes me keep sculpting it you know until it gets to the point where it doesn't suck that bad and uh, <laughs> <laughs> take out the extra suckiness <laughs> no but it, it's true like I mean it, it's it is sculpting I yeah. know like right now I'm writing like a you know that's how I work I work much slower I mean I do improvisational projects but mainly what I do are these more long form compositions and it is that sculpting until you until it becomes an enjoyable thing for me to listen to mm. that's the moment when I know it's close to completion mm. Like when I, when I, and that's why the break is important because when I come back to listen to it and I'm able to listen to it with enjoyment or appreciation, I know that it's become something, that it's ready. It's close to ready. That's your refinement. Some more than others, of course. Yes, your refinement process. And then, and then it's a little bit slow. Like, I mean, Gabarine, I'm finishing the Cecilia album that I, I really, like I was telling you last night, I really love it. It's quite special. Very, very beautiful. And... I, that's taken a very long time to get to that point. Even it's been completed for a really long time. A lot of like, there was a lot of like listening, like really subtle cultivation towards the end, but with a lot of space, you know, like I would take a break and work on something else for a while, come back to it. And um, I find that no matter whether that's over a six month period, a one year period, or a one month period, two months, that giving it breaks especially towards the end gives you that capacity gives me that capacity to start to settle into like and then there's just a letting go you know saying that i don't i i really i can't devote any more of my life to this you know it's, it's i've given it enough time and that's something you're telling to creative young artists i was also thinking that's something i you think about your children in a way too right. like uh, there's um but anyways yeah um to know when it's enough yeah and not but then also I would say then there's a point that's very important at the end where I share it with friends and that's also another bri- sure. transition into the the and trusted friends like the people that I know that are in, musicians engineers to get their opinions and the, oftentimes technical things like do you hear anything what do you think about it that that helps me also to because I don't share it with anyone really until the very end when when i feel that it's ready to first show two people that i know really close and maybe a little bit more and more and more until then you give it out to the world so it's a very slow process for me it's Um, a very conscientious process yeah but it but it it, uh the way you operate is with a great deal of 
and I feel thought. good about it at the end. Yeah. And that, that's how I come to feel good about yeah. it. Some people probably might feel good about it. Perhaps Laraji feels good as soon as he's done. He just feels great about it. That's never <laughs> been the case for me. Like so, but that's what, like you said, defines my process. Exactly, yeah. and it's like you and Gareth, the different, yeah. the minimalist, the maximalist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're owning your process at whatever stage you are. Uh, owning your process, really owning it, and then falling in love with it. Yeah. And not not beating yourself up because your process is different than someone else's. And also recognizing creative energy, like any energy, thrives and grows if you nurture it. So to experience yourself in creativity with everything, creatively put toothpaste on your toothbrush in the morning. Yeah. Feel how, oh, that looks really nice today. Yeah. And everything <laughs> you do... Exp- when you're making your breakfast, yeah. do it in a creative way. Take time to appreciate what you're doing is creative. It does not have to be a, a Beethoven symphony to That's have That's a wonderful it. way of talking about mindfulness. Like, uh, um, and I, that's a way that I also have thought about mindfulness very similar where I was doing a long period of like meta loving kindness meditation. And I would... I realized I was thinking about Ty's teachings about, or more his presence of intense mindfulness that he, I mean, this extraordinary awareness of everything, but that if you, there's a way in which you can pick up a cup being like loving to the cup, like especially again seeing like the, the God in the Pepsi bottle, you know, that everything is essentially this, you know, field of, of shunyata yes. unity, that like loving kindness towards the the cup is is a way of like radiating into you know this external internal space that's taking care of your bliss and also it's 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 pure mindfulness mindfulness is loving kindness yes and creativity and creativity is also loving kindness. it is can be i guess it can it can be be very much yeah and the more you practice creativity as loving kindness in the little things that's what I'm saying, not to sound funny, but really seriously, toothpaste and making a meal. And if you have the privilege of having a yard that, that needs tending to, to creatively weed your garden yeah. and enjoy it uh, mindfully, be mindful of, of your surroundings in a creative way. So what you're doing is you're you're nurturing and building creativity muscles in things that you don't think of as creative. Yeah, that's actually a big uh, realization I had about I don't know five to ten years ago. I used to get really anxious all the time because I was so diligent and organized and perseverant in my work, and I'm so focused on getting you know this project done. I have to put in ten hours a day. I have to do it. You know. And I would get annoyed if I wasn't doing in the studio, you know, if I, it was a very dual way of looking at reality. I needed to be working on my music. If I had to shower or talk or eat or make food, that was all distraction, you know. Someone came over, it's a distraction. But then I started to realize that making your food and taking your shower and, and of course, doing meditation, sleeping is making the music. Mm. Like it's an, it is an ingredient 
especially obviously food, but you really everything is taking a breath of air is an ingredient that is in the music. And it's like you said, creativity is is a release of energy. But in order to release energy, you have to aggregate energy, right, yes. for it to be there. So like it's every, which is exactly what you're saying, that if you go through life realizing that drinking my water is composing my next piece, taking care of your son is, can be composing yes. your next piece, you know. It's a really fascinating kind of switch of all of a sudden kind of realizing the importance of the whole picture, yes. not just your one obsessive. Yeah, that's what, that for, that if you're, you're mindful while drinking your water and you hold it when you put down, pick up the book, then that's when you're on stage or in the studio, it's just a continuation of that energy. That Exactly. Yeah, yeah. my new thinking And is, it's a strengthening a yes, muscle. Yes, strengthening yeah. your creativity. Two muscles. M muscles. Yeah. <laughs> but it's also thinking like fungi. My newest fascination fungi? Yeah. All, is, all our newest Did you say fungi? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, all, 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 all of what we are observing and learning and relearning, relearning, reacquainting ourselves with the wonder and awe of the mycelium kingdom yeah. and... I guess it. I guess for our era, much of it came into light through the popular media when Avatar was released. Oh, interesting. And in that I hadn't film, about that yeah, movie. think of how yeah, really the, the that all that interconnected root system and the fungi that were feeding it, and now this is like a, you know the buzz world. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's everywhere that we're reading books and hearing. So think like a fungi. Yeah. And, and that's a, did you speak to John about this last no, night? No. No. Oh, yeah. He's doing no. a whole thing now about mycelium. He's oh, no. defined the new. That. He's going out. He said the, into the hundreds of the 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 um uh uh, uh, uh what are they called um <sighs> of the Fibonacci series of harm, the harmonic. Uh, Steps, but there's a it begins with a P. What the word is, but essentially each of the, of the harmonic series, like if you have an octave and you have the second octave and the fifth, right. and then the next octave and then the third, you know the harmonic series. He's going in the Pythagorean out okay. to like into the hundreds in order to develop a sound thing that he wants to grow mushrooms under. So he plays that sound because it's the Fibonacci series, and the mushrooms Whoa. grow Whoa. within the Fibonacci. Whoa. In they, that, that field. they grow in that field and yes. that in that pattern of the Fibonacci series so he wants to play because he's growing mushrooms now he wants to play that frequency up into the hunt well beyond the capacity for human hearing well like multiples no way. and then he wow. would be playing that 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 uh that frequency to help like a grow light for the mushroom I didn't hear it that I wish I had and that that's I guess my final tip in creativity think like a mushroom yeah be a fungi. <laughs> Tap into your inner mycelium network. You should make a bunch of t-shirts for this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. And a big little... Yeah, when you said... Mushroom. I'm wondering if we still want to use the word thinking in reference to... No, not really. Because there's such a... being Such a, a non-verbal... Yes. Yeah. Presence yourself hood within the mycelium network. Of, yeah, it's... And... Um, what a wonderful... Wow, John, go John. So guys, I I You do thank have you. to be mindful mm. of your time. Yeah. 
What um, can we do? So today? wonderful yeah. to have this opportunity to talk with you and ask you these questions. I had so many more. I wanted to talk about Sangha. That was the mm-hmm. final mm-hmm. thing, but that's okay. It's, we had Sangha. That's right. We um, were living Sangha. Yeah. And Sangha, this the circle celebration uh, concept and the new Snaus concept, the most, uh, probably all the time that you guys are performing, but, and of course in our tradition with, with Thai and how he talks about the future Buddha will be the Sangha, not an individual, that uh, we're in a time now where Sangha is more, as more important, as important, more important probably than ever because the earth needs to become a Sangha, but we need more Sanghas in general. Mm-hmm. We need more people collaborating artistically in an open field with each other. We need more gatherings around fire yes. pits. Yes. You know, singing yes. and drumming and remembering like how our ancestors dealt with their energy systems. Um, so I want I, I have actually um, been doing a lot of reflection in the last year about Sangha. And you know, in Buddhism there's the three jewels, very, very important concept and I always for years always I would read about the three jewels, and I was like, yeah, the Buddha, it definitely, obviously, he's amazing. You get everything he says is so, you know, most wise being I've ever found in all my search of philosophy. And then the Dharma, well, that's his teachings. He's just pointing mm. out the universal law. Sangha, yeah, other people, no, I'm a hermit. I don't need them. <laughs> and realizing how how that's as critical. Yeah, because you need we need help. We're not alone. Right? And it's and that's humility, it, and we got to help each other. That and exactly, yeah. it's not competitive. Ty does a whole host of teachings on the um, undermining aspect of a competitive spirit. Yeah, and and how that's different than perseverance and having a goal is very different than what we think of in the West as competitive being. Ah, you're great out there. Yeah. And having your ego boost. You are, you fascinate me because you came from the competitive sports. I know, well, yeah, I grew up with that mindset. Yeah. And I took it into music. And I've had to slowly wear that, wet down that stone, you know, smooth it out. That, that or sharp shift edge. it, Sh- yeah. shift it, because it serves you. Well, also, I, it's, it was very clear to me because I struggled a lot with depression, and a lot of that had to do with that mindset. Yeah. Because if you're always like trying to just attain some great grandiose, you're never accomplishment be good of enough. what it is essentially ego. Right. You'll never be happy. No. Like you'll never find happy. You'll find moments of like accomplishment and greatness and grandness of happiness or kind of a kind of bliss, but it'll only last for a little while until you need the next hit. You know what I mean? That's seeing yourself as not good enough. Yeah. There, And that reminds me, and this requires a whole conversation, there is a Sangha community, not in Thai's tradition, called Good Enough Community, based originally out of Seattle, Washington. Remarkable community, over 50 years now in existence, and they annually do an event on this ma- magnificent acreage um, in Tahoya, Washington, on the Tahoya River, uh, and it's the f- second week of August. It's called Human Relations Laboratory. Mm-hmm. It's about allowing people to learn how to be uh, held yeah. uh, and 
I've, I've been able to attend to, uh, but it's something I need you to know about, the Good Enough community and their human talking about you know for everyone within the news project and especially for me uh, I've learned a lot from you guys and it was a great joy of my life to make a record with you and and also to sit here and talk about these such deep and important concepts um, about living so uh, thank you right back oh Oh. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 